Hi, it's Eric again. If it feels like I'm always asking you for money, it's because I'm always asking you for money. That's because producing a high-quality podcast like Making Gay History costs a lot. Between ten dollars and $20,000 for each episode, for the audio and all the extra resources and archival photos you'll find on our website. One way to help us keep bringing LGBTQ history to life through the voices of the people who lived it is to join our Patreon community, $5 a month or $60 a year. And for that, you get a front row seat to my interviews with present-day history makers, behind-the-scenes production conversations, and delicious clips from my archive that we couldn't include in regular episodes. Right now, we have 200 Patreon followers. That's just a fraction of our many thousands of listeners. Can you help us double that by the 55th anniversary of Stonewall this coming Pride Month? We can't do what we do without all our supporters. And if you aren't one already, I hope you will be soon. Or, if you are already, get one of your friends to sign up to join our Patreon community at patreon.com slash makinggayhistory. That's patreon.com slash makinggayhistory. Or just go to makinggayhistory.com and hit the Patreon subscription button on our homepage. Thanks so much. Now, on to the episode you've chosen to hear. Hi, Eric Marcus here with the Making Gay History podcast. Each week we take a deep dive into my stack of decades-old audio cassettes to share with you the voices of LGBTQ history. In our first episode, you'll meet Sylvia Rivera. She was an iconic trans activist who also happened to be at Stonewall in 1969, June 28th, the night of the big uprising. I'll never forget seeing Sylvia for the first time. I was standing in the entry hall of her tenement building in a small river town in New York. And she was standing at the top of a rickety staircase in the glare of a bare light bulb. She had these really strong features, high cheekbones, wide-spaced eyes, gap-toothed smile. She was wearing red lipstick. She was wearing this outfit that my sister would have worn in the 1970s if she'd had the guts. It was a black halter top tied at the waist over a skin-tight black undershirt and hot pink spandex pants tucked into beige knee-high boots with chunky heels. And I don't know if it was the combination of... Her face, her makeup, her hair, or her outfit, or the light, but she scared the shit out of me. I was wearing an orange down parka and green corduroys, and I looked like I'd stepped off the F train from Queens, which is where I'm from. So I caught my breath, climbed the stairs, and Sylvia welcomed me into her steamy kitchen. The windows were all fogged. She introduced me to her boyfriend, who was the most nondescript guy you can imagine, especially next to Sylvia. And sitting in a chair off to the side was her friend Rennie, who was Sylvia's butch opposite. Flat-top haircut, lumberjack shirt, overalls, work boots. A pot of chili was cooking on the stove. There was a bottle of vodka on the table that was almost empty. I don't remember now if she offered me a drink or not, but I have what I call Jewish liver syndrome and a teaspoon of vodka would leave me on the floor, not Sylvia. So I got myself situated, I clipped the microphone onto Sylvia's halter top, and I set my recorder to record. Now on this tape, you'll hear me call Sylvia Ray, which was the name she was going by at the time. Interview with Ray Rivera, Saturday, December 9th, 1989, at 4 p.m. Location is the home of Ray Rivera in Tarrytown, New York. Interviewer is Eric Marcus, tape one, side one. 
The Stonewall wasn't a bar for drag queens. Everybody keeps saying it was. Mm -hmm. So this is where I get into arguments with people. They say, oh no, it's always a drag queen bar and it was a black bar. No. Washington Square Bar mm -hmm. was the drag queen bar. Okay, you could get into the Stonewall if they knew you. And there were only a certain amount of drag queens that were allowed into the Stonewall at that time. We had just come back in from, um, from Washington, my first lover and I. We were passing forged checks okay. and whatnot, but we were making good money. And so, well, let's go to Stonewall. Let's do our thing. Let's go there, you know. Actually, it was the first time that I had even been to freaking Stonewall. I was in full drag. I was dressed, you know, very pleasantly. I was wearing a woman's suit. Bell bottoms were out there, and I had made this fabulous suit at home. And I was wearing that, and I had the hair out. Lots of makeup, lots of hair. <laughs> Were you drinking at the bar or just standing around? No, I, that was drinking. The police came in. They came in to get their pay off, as usual. They would come in, padlock the freaking door. As soon as they left, the mafia was there, cut in the door. They had a new register. They had more money and they had more booze. This is what we learned to live with at that time. We had to live with it. Right. We had to live with it until that day. I don't know if it was the customers or it was the police. It's just, everything clicked. Everybody just like, why the fuck are we doing all this for? The people at the bars, uh, especially at Stonewall, were involved in other movements and everybody just like, all right, we got to do our thing. We're going to go for it. And when they ushered us out, it was nice, you know, when they just very nicely put you out the door and then you're standing across the street and shut in the square park. And, but why? But why? All of a sudden, you just feel this. Everybody's looking at each other. But why do we have to keep on constantly putting up with this? And... The nickels, the dimes, the pennies, and the quarters started flying. Why? Why, why that? Why do people do that? The payoff. That... that was the payoff. Oh, 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 oh. That was the payoff. It was to symbolize the payoff. Yeah. You already got... Here's some more. And here's some more. To be there, you know, it's just like, oh, it's so beautiful. I just like, you know, it's just like... Was it exciting? Oh, it was so exciting. It was like... We're doing it. We're doing it. We're, we're fucking nanners. The cops were, you know, they, they just panicked. Inspector Pine really panicked. Mm -hmm. He really did. Mm -hmm. Plus, he had no backup. Mm -hmm. He did not expect any of the retaliation that the gay community gave him at that point. Do you think all this was in, in part because... People were so angry for so long. People were very angry for so long. I mean, how long can you live in a closet? I was already out of my closet. 
when you're obvious back then, there was nothing to hold you back. It was always the effeminate male or the butch woman. That's what society always looked at. We are the ones that went out there and we didn't take no shit from, from them. We had nothing to lose. Actually, you know, at that, at that point in time, you know, I understand the ones that held their heads down low because they probably had very nice jobs and they had a family to go to. I was born to be an effeminate child. My grandmother used to come home and find me all dressed up. It's just like, I get my ass whipped. Of course, you know, well, we don't do this. You're one of the boys. I want you to be a, a mechanic. Uh -huh. I said, no, but I want to be a hairdresser. <laughs> I want to do this. <laughs> and I want to wear these clothes. And I was born July 2nd, 1951, at 2.30 in the morning in a taxi cab in the old Lincoln Hospital parking lot. The old queen couldn't wait. <laughs> she said, well, I'm ready to hit the streets. My grandmother used to always joke about that. I said, yeah. I said, you see why I'm always standing out on the street corner? <laughs> That's good. And then I was came out feet first. You did? Yes. Oh, so you landed on a... Mm, so I was ready. I always mention my grandmother because my, my mother died when I was three years mm -hmm. old. And she raised me. Mm -hmm. So it's my grandmother that raised me until I left home. Right. So you left home at 10? Yeah. I left home about 10, 10 and a half. I was almost 11. You know, the only reason that I left home at such an early age was because my grandmother came home crying one day. With the tears in her eyes, they're calling you a pato, which means faggot mm -hmm. in the Spanish language. And it, it hurt her so bad because they were doing this to me, and she knew where I was coming from. She even knew. I had that much respect for my grandmother. I, 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 didn't, I, didn't, want, I didn't want her to suffer. It wasn't my suffering. I was worrying about her suffering. How did you survive on the street? You became a street walker. You stand down on the street and you make money. At that age? At that age, it was easy to make money. <laughs> I don't know how many times my grandmother had to come and bail me out of jail. She was there. She always came and bailed me out. She says, oh, that's my grandson. I have to take him out. What were you in jail for? Prostitution, you know, right. bullshit, loitering. Right. Nothing major, you know. If you walk down 42nd Street, it even looked like a faggot. You were going to jail. So you went to jail a few times? Oh, I went to jail a lot of times. The community is always embarrassed by drag queens. Why do you think? Why do I think? Yeah. No, it's not why I think I know. Okay, why do you know? Because straight society always looks Oh, well, a faggot always dresses in drag, or he's too effeminate. You got to be who you are. Mm -hmm. Passing is like saying a light-skinned black woman or black male passing for white. And I refuse to pass. You couldn't have passed. No, I couldn't have passed. Not in this lifetime. No, not in this lifetime. I just like being myself. Right. It's fun being Sylvia. It's fun playing the game.
This interview was the only time I ever talked to Sylvia. And I'm sorry that I never did again. I wish I had. In the years that followed, Sylvia struggled with addiction and homelessness, and she died on February 19, 2002. She was 51. When I interviewed Sylvia, she talked about how old she was and how young I was. She, was, she said she was 39 at the time. I think she was actually 38. And I was 31. I'm nearly 60. And now, looking back at her age when she died, 51, she seemed so young. I'd like to thank our brilliant executive producer, Sarah Burningham, our wonderfully fussy audio engineer, Casey Holford, our exquisite composer, Fritz Meyer. Thank you also to Hannah Moak, our social media guru, and our masterful webmaster, Jonathan Dozier-Ezel. We had production assistance from the incredibly talented Jenna Weiss-Berman, whose enthusiasm for this project made it possible. The Making Gay History podcast is a co-production of Pineapple Street Media with funding from the Arcus Foundation, which is dedicated to the idea that people can live in harmony with one another and the natural world. Learn more about Arcus and its partners at arcusfoundation.org. And if you like what you've heard, please subscribe to the Making Gay History podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find all our episodes on our website at makinggayhistory.com. So long, until next time. <laughs>